Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast, live from the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. David Anderson. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm ready to prototype. We're going to dive right into some prototyping tips and tricks, what you should do and should not do, and many other things pertaining to prototyping. We can't have a prototyping episode without our very own Stephen Merriweather. Stephen, how's it going? Hi, Dave. Hi, Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were here on the last episode to talk about prototyping, and you sold me. I mentioned before, I'm, I'm ready to prototype, bro. Yep. I'm ready to do this. I need you're to the, learn. You're the prototypical prototyper. The, <laughs> the prototypical <laughs> prototyper right here. Ready it's to go. The, it's on the business card. <laughs> I want to know, just dive right into it. What are some best practices that you know a person may want to have when thinking about prototyping an application? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I think we have to be super clear with the definition of a, of a prototype. And my definition is it is something that you build to go to production, but you intend to get rid of it later. I, I don't see prototypes as something that are long living, that sort of stay standing for, for years and years and years. And so if we have that definition, then in my mind, the sort of best practices are to do the thing, use the tool, use the technology that lets you get product to market as fast as you can while not sacrificing on sort of user experience and sort of short-term maintainability. So there's a lot of different techniques to do that. My preference is you use no-code, low-code tools because I've sort of, I'm experimenting with those and I think those are really interesting. But if your team is more familiar with a certain, with like React, you could throw up, a React developer, developer could make a React site pretty quickly in just a couple of hours and, that, and it could do a lot of interesting things. And so I think you you reach for prototyping because you want to rapidly test and experiment with your product ideas in the short term. And, and so you, like Dave mentioned in, in the first episode, you do the thing that your employees are most comfortable with. So right. the idea and of like, prototyping is being able to, you know, build something as fast as possible to get it to your users to experiment how the users interact with this product. And it can be a low-code, no-code application or something built very quickly in React. Yeah, exactly. So I'm working with a client right now who is sort of pre-product market fit. Um, she has very little money, but has this wonderful idea and, and wants to get it to market as fast as possible and as cheap as possible. And so we uh, together are working on this no-code solution. And so we've built this no-code web app using Bubble in only a couple of weeks. And we have all sorts of fancy integrations and all sorts of fancy graphs and visual visualizations and tables. And she's now pitching it to, to potential users and um, has a small pilot program going. And this is something that there's no way I could have done by myself with her in just a couple of weeks using traditional technologies. And so in my mind, that's an example of, of a rapid prototype. It's something that's going to be around in the short to medium term, but will eventually be replaced in the long term once she's post-product market fit and has revenue and has the ability to, to really build something that's going to last her and her company for years to come. So it's like something that really doesn't need a lot of investment up front. Like you're, you're saying it's just two people 
working on this application. So it's it's a very intimate experience. It is, it is quite intimate. It is not as intimate <laughs> as once I was working with the client and I was working from their home um, <laughs> next to their, their young children. That was very intimate. This is a little bit different, but... You don't have to be quite as good of a role model, I guess. Like. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't have to. I can wear sweatpants and feel okay about it. <laughs> so in, in my mind, you know, it's it's the thing that gets you moving the fastest. And I, we sort of talked about this a little bit on episode one. There are trade-offs that you make to in order to move faster because this is especially talking to sort of really early stage companies. Their prerogative is getting to product market fit. And so in my mind, one of the trade-offs that, that you make and one of the trade-offs that I have been making is on testing. I'm like a, a big XP person and, and I, I enjoy TDD. But in my mind, when you're prototyping, you sort of don't do that to the extent that you would um, working on a, a more sort of solid long-term application. But I'm curious, you know, what, what y'all's thoughts are on that. I just gasped. Oh my God! You're out here writing code that isn't tested. Who well, are you? That's the great yeah. thing. I'm not writing any code. It's no code. Into the pit. Oh, so it's okay. But I'm building software. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, so that's okay, like work. Wait, so like if I was, what if I build uh, re- if I was writing this in React as a prototype though? I'm not like spinning up Jest on the side and test drive things. Are you going willy nilly? Because on React. I'm going willy-nilly. I think that I might get voted <laughs> off the island right now, but I'm going willy-nilly. Oh, Bobby, out of the island, out of the TDD island you go. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you mentioned Bubble earlier. Does Bubble have a testing framework? I mean, I don't know how that, how no-code, low-code programming languages yeah. test. So most, most of the no-code, low-code tools that I've experimented with don't have any sort of testing idea they usually have some sort of uh, an idea of a compiler. And so they make sure that your your Booleans are actually Booleans and your sort of component A talks to component B, but they don't have any way to test behavior. So that's all done manually right now. So just like eyes and clicking on things and the good old manual testing way. Of, the good old manual testing yeah, way. Just yeah. like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to put numbers in here when it's only letters. and Okay, that's good. But then, you know, test symbols and you get a wise guy user who decides to destroy your app and then you fix it. Right, right. right. But I guess but like the stakes are, the stakes are a little bit lower, right? When you're so early on that like it's like no one, literally no one is using this right now. It's fine. <laughs> literally, literally no one. <laughs> there are two people working on this product, and there are also two people on this planet that know of this product. <laughs> uh, I see. <laughs> product market fit at its finest. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. so there's very little space for testing for the sake of just trying to get the prototype, like whether it's on Figma or I forget what's the name of the app, right? Figma is the one where people have been drawing on Miro. Miro is one, Sketch. Like it's just prototype is just getting your, those thoughts and ideas from those Sketch applications to some other application that's low code, no code, or even prototype in React, let's say, as fast as possible. It's getting ideas into the real world as fast as possible in order to validate sort of your your thinking behind those ideas. In that circumstance, in my mind, it doesn't matter if 
you know, the, the phone field accepts text or characters or something or, or whatever. There's, there's, there's a variety of different things. It, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work for, for part of your, your user base. You're just sort of trying to, to track engagement and, and usage and, and you don't actually even care if, if this works at all, really. You just, you just want to see if people are interested in this idea. Then you can spend more resources fleshing it out and, and you know, getting it more resilient through testing right. and lots of other It's ways. like the idea of a thing that works. Um, yeah. But, like, I, I think there, there is, like, a fundamental, like, XP idea that is very useful that you've, you've mentioned, which is the feedback loop. So it's, it's like getting things out of the way that aren't getting you the really meaningful feedback, which is from the users, but like also leveraging the feedback loops that exist within the tooling or what have you. Like I, I know like prototyping in React, like there's React Dev tools, there's hot reloading. This already is kind of like a foot gun for a lot of like more mature React teams where like they may not write as robust testing because the feedback loop is so tight with writing the react code where you just like wait a moment and it comes up but i'm sure like these no code tools as well are providing like very nice feedback loops where you can make a change and see it evolving like pretty quickly yeah yeah definitely i think a lot of no code tools, but even sort of web programming languages. The, one of the great things about the web is feedback loops are pretty instantaneous, um, and I, I've grown to like really appreciate that in in my development. But that that all being said, you know, I will be honest and say that I, I run into scenarios where I need to do a lot of manual clicking around and QA testing just because it's I don't want to build software that just doesn't work at all. Um, and it, there, there reaches <laughs> a, a point thing. where that, that can get a little overwhelming. Yeah, totally. And I guess like I, you, you might consider like, okay, like what is the point in which I might add that into the mix? Like what is, exactly. what is the cost and the benefit of adding some capability to know and be comfortable that like I'm not introducing any regressions? Yeah, exactly. And and so in my mind it's it's just like, you know, what is my runway? Early on in, in a product's history, your your runway is just a couple of months at most. And so I I feel pretty confident that I can manage a code base that only a few people are working on, or maybe I'm just working on by myself for like a month or two. But as that runway starts getting extended and now I'm confident that, you know, I'm going to be working in this code base for the next year. Well, then that's probably a good time for me to realize, okay, like I can't manage this on my own without any tests for for the next year. So that's a good time to, I, I think, to start adding those tests. in. Yeah, I think there's probably also like there may reach some kind of a limit where like if you have something that's like a complicated logic, like if it's pretty cruddy. Like, you know, a lot of like create, read, update, delete, then like those cases may be covered by the tooling that you're using and you can feel pretty cozy with just the out of the box experience with that. But if you're starting to do like a lot of math and like uh, conditionals and other things like that, and it's 
important for people to like if you try to sell to somebody and if it's not accurate then they're not going to buy it then yeah it might be a tool that you want to reach for like you know writing some tests yeah one of the clearest indicators for me to know that i should be writing a test right now and i'm not is if i can't figure out the logic of what i'm doing then that's like okay I'm just going to write a test that has the outcome that I hope to achieve, and I'm going to slowly work my way to that point. Right. Our simple human brains cannot comprehend like the Boolean conditionals that are coming together, or what have you. Let's say okay, like that's a tool to like break it down into smaller pieces that yeah we can digest. And I, I think that applies for you know if you're working at NASA or if you're working at this two-person startup. No, so no, no matter where you are, I think that's a good technique to use. Yeah, totally. I would love to get someone who works at NASA on the podcast. Although I feel like there are like NDAs and things like that, <laughs> like security clearances. If NASA wanted me to write code for the shuttle, I would turn that down. <laughs> I I do not trust myself enough to like put humans in, on a rocket. In, on a rocket, yeah, no way. <laughs> Nope, 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 yeah. nope, nope, not me. No, no way. The no code tool. We're sticking, sticking with web forms from for the foreseeable future. I, I, yes, I'm not doing it either. I think we've had multiple conversations between Dave and I about whether we're shipping rockets or like pacemaker applications. Not doing it. Nope, no way, yeah. no how. Right. Maybe some code then. Maybe not no code. Yeah. Yeah. Some code. Yeah. Steven, what what is your favorite low-code, no-code tool that you've been using? You mentioned Bubble as one. Um, Do you have any others in in your tool belt of low-code, no-code prototyping applications? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of Bubble. Uh, I think it's super powerful. Here at Stride, we've I'm pretty sure we're we're spinning up an internal application using Bubble. And someone non-technical created an account and had a, a... sort of v1 version of their idea in just a couple of hours and, and i think that's super representative of the power that bubble has bubble is great for a web application dave earlier mentioned crud apps if you're working on a crud app then bubble is a phenomenal tool for that another one of my favorite tools is webflow um, webflow is really great for like marketing sites it allows you to drag and drop sort of CSS and HTML onto pages and build really beautiful websites um, without writing any CSS, without writing any HTML. And it sort of sort of hand holds your hand a little bit. And so I'm really, I'm a really big fan of that too. Um, I'm also a fan of this, this tool called uh, Retool. Um, Retool is similar to Bubble in that it allows you to build sort of complex workflows and UI and as you would see in a web app. But it also has interesting connections to, um, it lets you write code to supplement sort of their built-in technology. It lets you connect to all sorts of different databases. Retool is a, a tool that I think they they pitch themselves as a tool for building, a, a no-code tool for building internal applications. I, I think they're really cool. And then the last tool that, I've, that I have some experience with that I, that I really like is a cool tool called DraftBit. Um, DraftBit is for building mobile apps. And so what they let you do is through just dragging and dropping UI components, build 
fairly complex mobile React Native mobile apps. And so you can drag in like a, a photo upload, uploader, or you could drag in this or that component, compile it, and then what you get out of it is, is React Native code. And so I've used that to build to build mobile apps. And so those are those are the tools that I'm really comfortable with that I and that I'm a big fan of. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm like kind of looking at some of these tools as you're going through it, and I'm just having a flashback to like Visual Studio Code. Wait. Say more. <laughs> it seems like the spiritual successor for that, like in in yeah. such a real real way. But like so much better. Like it's it's very hard to make a website that looks good, like aesthetically good. And like to have, have things that are like helping you like nudge you in the right direction for like yeah. how components are like laid out and like you know how everything looks and feels um that's that's pretty huge because you know i'm i made some really awful things in middle school in visual studio code <laughs> me too was that a like a what you see is what you get kind of web development using it was like, visual studio uh, like code native application development for like windows Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've Which had a lot I, of fun I think it's finally been retired, but it's yeah. it, it's heartening to me that there are like, you know, new tools out there that people can kind of get started with, and you know, like as like early stage programmer, like someone learning programming, like that kind of resonates with me, like that these tools are available for people to use, and I could see like, you know, some enterprising, like elementary school person or something even like just starting something with this or like you know yeah. maybe not elementary school but like maybe middle schooler <laughs> yeah definitely and i think that's a, you bring up an interesting point and in that i think some of these tools these, these newer crop of no code low code tools need sort of a they have sort of a, a, a brand problem because no code has been around for over two decades and i think you know, in the early 2000s, people were building software using no-code tools and the experience was subpar, to put it nicely. And there's all sorts of these new crops of tools that the experience is actually quite good. Um, and so I, I don't know what the brand should be, but I would encourage people to try out all of these these new no-code tools because you can do some really cool stuff and in, in not much time at all. Yeah, just like being able to, you know, if you have an idea in mind, you can um, just get started as fast as possible, see what kind of interactions with your users you may get for this particular product and know very quickly as to, you know, this is a product that the world may need versus like, oh, is this only a niche group of people? And you can make a decision as to whether you want to continue moving forward and building, you know, whether it's going to be a fully fleshed application and you know, your React front end and Rails back end and that kind of stuff uh, versus, you know, figuring out a new idea and starting the prototyping process again with a different idea rather than diving into a monolith and building all this boilerplate and then having four users and then not having a lot of interactions and stuff like that. Oh, no. So sad. Like, <laughs> my, my beautiful code is only being used by four people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, the four people get to see my code, that's great. But I'd be happy with that. If there's four million people, my code will also work great. There you go. That's <laughs> that's where it's at. Yeah, fully tested right. everything for sure. Do you think that 
you know, we this came up in in what you know Dave had mentioned with like you know the visual basic knowledge that he had in middle school. I've done a lot of like what do you call like career day and talk about programming and stuff like that. And I'm curious, like is is these no code applications or something like Bubble um, a thing that we should be introducing to like you know kids in middle school so that they get more excited about coding? Or am I still is my Ruby puts your name the thing I should be doing to show these the kids? I guess is my question. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I followed this guy named Andrew Wilkinson, who's the the CEO and, and founder of this company called Tiny Capital. They own a lot of different sites like Dribble and MetaLab and and others. I mean, he had a tweet the other day that I thought was great, and he said, "Everybody shouldn't be learning how to code. Everybody should be learning how to use no code." And I think that's true, especially as a way to sort of get people into programming, getting your your mind thinking about building software and building products using no-code tools, I think is a really nice introduction to sort of the more heavier components of building software. And so um, if... You know, if my cousin, if my like little cousin came to me and wanted to, to sort of build something and learn how to program, I would first point them in, in the direction of bubble. I would, I would teach them what that looks like, get their mind thinking in that, in that way. And then that translates really well to, to actually writing software and writing code. Right. Because you can, you can think about like the joy of creating something. You can think about like the feeling that you get when you like put some logic together and like kind of like connect the dots and create something surprising or or different, but without really writing any code. And that's, that's yeah. Yeah. You, you get that excitement and that joy of, of putting something out there in the world, but you also start thinking in sort of a systematic way that you have to do in these no code tools. And you also have to do if you're writing code. And so if you haven't been doing that for a while, it's sort of challenging to start thinking that way. And so this is like a really gentle introduction to that. Yeah. And and something that I've seen, I think also in my, my career that we haven't really talked about too much that like the most successful low code tool in the world is Microsoft, Microsoft Excel. Yeah. Like, yeah, I cannot tell you how many projects I've been on where like, we just need to replace this spreadsheet. That like <laughs> yeah. that Barbara yeah. put together. Like Barbara put together this like wild spreadsheet and it like does everything. It is exactly what we need. It is the right product market fit, but it just doesn't scale. Yeah, that's a great example of like the first low code tool that really sort of changed the world <laughs> in a way. Oh man, Excel. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> yeah, I think the idea of prototyping now is very, very interesting to me, right? I think one of the things I myself uh, struggle with is like uh, analysis paralysis. It's the idea that like, oh man, I want to build something. But what language am I going to do it in? Am I going to do it in Elixir backend? I'm going to use Go API. Oh my God, I'm going to use React? I'm going to use Vue. Or PHP. What, or PHP. Oh gosh, no. Uh, and what's the whole <laughs> Svelte or whatever? What other JavaScript framework that exists? Is that going to be my front end? I think this is like a really good way to let people, myself included, 
to, you know, use an application that just makes it very easy for you to start something. That way you start and then you figure out what you like and what you don't like, as opposed to being caught up in all these different programming languages that you do want to build it in so that you know whether this product is something that you want to continue to deliver to whoever is using your application. Totally. I completely agree with that. So if you're stuck on an application idea, stop worrying about the programming language you want to do it in and just start. Right. Because this is the starting something saga. And the best way to start something <laughs> is to start. And just programming start. low code, no code solutions, as Stephen mentioned, Bubble being one of the many, is a great way to get yourself started on that idea you have in your head. So start something. Just do it. Just, hey, <laughs> just do it. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.